So if you have your devices or you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I would ask that you open them up to John the 12th chapter. And in just a moment, we are going to be looking at this story that is found recorded by John, the gospel writer. Now, as you're turning your Bibles there, and when you're done, if you would just look up at me today, I want to start by reading some verses of Scripture to you. Several different verses that I've selected out of the Word of God. And what I want you to listen for today as I read those verses is a recurring theme that is found throughout the Word of God. So I want you to see if you can discover this recurring theme that is found in the verses that I'll share with you. The first verse is found in Psalm 96, verse 3. The psalmist is writing about God. This is what he says, Declare God's glory among the nations of the earth, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Daniel 7, chapter 7, verse 14 is a prophetic verse of Scripture written by Daniel about the Son of Man. I want you to listen to what Daniel said. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 18 through 19, these are some of the very last words that Jesus Christ spoke to his followers before he ascended to heaven. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so I send you... Go and make disciples of all nations. Then Revelation, the ninth chapter and the ninth verse, John the Revelator is opening up the curtains of heaven and allowing us to peer inside. And this is what he writes about the Lamb of God. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. As the Bible prepares to close, John the Revelator reveals one more passage of Scripture to us. Revelation, the 21st chapter, verses 23 through 26. This is what is recorded there. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb of God. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of God the nations. When you heard me read those verses this morning, I hope the one word that stuck out or jumped out at you today was this, the word nations. Any theology about God that does not include his love for the nations of the earth, and his overwhelming desire to see all peoples in the world have an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ, at best is incorrect. At worst, it is false. From the time the Word of God opens 
to the time the Word of God closes, we hear about God's love for the nations of the earth. Recorded on one page after another, recorded in chapter and verse, that God has a great love for the nations of the earth. That His overwhelming desire is to see everyone have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and have an opportunity to have a relationship with Him. If God places such a great priority on the nations of the earth and them hearing the gospel, for us to do any less is to come up well short of what God desires for His church. Now listen to me. It's very important that we reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am convinced within walking distance of this church, there are people in America, in this community, in Lumberton, Coons, wherever we're located, that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We should have a heart for our community. We should have a heart for Southeast Texas. We should have a heart for the, uh, the state of Texas. We should have a heart for the nation of America. But as much as we have a heart for those places and a desire to see them reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, our burning desire should be in our hearts to see the gospel of Jesus Christ carried to the ends of the earth. That is what Jesus Christ challenged us with in His Word. He told His apostles in the verse that I read to you this morning that they were to go first to Jerusalem, their community, then they were to go to Judea, their state, and then they were to go to Samaria, their whole nation, and then they were to go to the utter ends of the world. Now listen to me very carefully. That is not a mandate that has been given to mission organizations. That is a mandate that has been given to God's church. And we are God's church and the question we must ask ourselves this morning is how can we be a church that has a heart for the nations of the earth how can we be a church that has a god-sized vision for reaching the nations the people of the earth because that's where god's heart is would you agree with me on that this morning would you agree with me this morning that God loves all people? That the gospel of Jesus Christ transcends all barriers? That God's desire is for the gospel to be carried to every person, no matter their socioeconomic background, no matter the color of their skin, no matter what religion they may proclaim for themselves? God's desire is that the nations of the earth would know Him. Isn't that true? And since that is true, we must ask ourselves the question, what role do we play in that as God's people? How do we allow God to give us a God-sized vision for reaching the kingdoms of the earth? At the throne of Jesus Christ, John the Revelator said, at His throne, every nation, every tribe, every language, every people will be represented there. How can we be a part of that plan? Well, Jesus answers that question for us 
in the story that we're going to look at this morning. Now, I will say I love Jesus Christ and his teaching style. Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. And what made Jesus Christ the greatest teacher who ever lived is he could take something from everyday life, and through that, he would teach a very important spiritual truth. And in this story we're going to look at in John, the 12th chapter, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. There are a group of Greeks that have come to Philip, and they've inquired of Philip, or they've said to Philip, Philip, we want to see Jesus. Philip goes to Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip go to Jesus Christ, and then Jesus Christ speaks this word. He chooses something from everyday life, and through this story, he's going to teach them a very important spiritual truth. Here's the spiritual truth that Jesus Christ is wanting to teach in this story. From a spiritual perspective, death always precedes life. Now let me say it again. If you're taking notes this morning, you're going to want to write this down. From a spiritual perspective, death always precedes life. Isn't that true? Don't we see that communicated to us throughout God's Word? Jesus Christ said, I have come that they may have life and have life to the fullest. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians, the second chapter, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In Galatians, the second chapter, in the 20th verse, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Again, in Colossians, the third chapter, in the third verse, Jesus, I mean, Paul writes and says that we have died in our life is hidden in Christ Jesus. The clear truth of God's Word is this. Death always precedes life. And so Jesus Christ is going to use agriculture to make his point, to teach this group a very important spiritual truth. Let me ask you a question this morning. I'm going to find out a little bit about what generation you came from. How many of you have ever planted a garden? Now, some of you may not even know what that is, but let me share with you kind of what that is. I'm only joking with you this morning. You know, I can remember as a boy growing up uh, over off of Mitchell Road with my grandparents, Wesley and Opal Lowe, they had a garden every year. They came from that generation. They came from the Depression generation. You planted a garden. And what we would do every year is we would till the soil. We'd go through and we would make rows. And then my grandmother would come through with a little stick and she would dig little holes down that row. And then we grandchildren would follow after her and we would drop seeds in those holes. And what always amazed me was this. The seeds were dead. But you know what? If the right conditions were in place, two, three weeks down the road, life would spring forth from that which was dead. 
That's exactly what Jesus Christ says in this passage of Scripture. I want you to listen to what he says here in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now this passage of Scripture, the words that Jesus Christ speaks here to us is quite unique. It's one of the few passages of Scripture that we actually find a dual meaning for a passage of Scripture in the Word of God. Surely this had direct implications for the life of Jesus Christ, and we know that by the words that Jesus Christ shares in this verse. He said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus Christ was speaking about His death on the cross. It would be just a few days down the road that Jesus Christ would go to Calvary, He would hang on that cross, and through His death at the cross, He would pay the penalty for our sin, and through faith in Him, all of those who trust in Him would be given life. You see what I'm saying? We were dead, but out of our spirit sprung life because Jesus Christ imparted the Spirit of God to us. He quickened us, and He gave us life in the same way that the Holy Spirit rose Jesus Christ from the, day, the grave. So we see here this first application that it applies to Jesus Christ's life is speaking about who Christ is and what He would do. That through His death, those who place their faith in him, in him would be given life. But it also has application for our lives today. This passage of Scripture has meaning for you and I. Even though these words were spoken over 2,000 years ago, or almost 2,000 years ago, they still speak into our lives today. It is only as we die that we can come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It is only as we willingly die to sin, self, and the ways of the world that we can be raised to new life in Christ. Death always precedes life, spiritually speaking. So as I think about that this morning, I'm left with this question. In what ways must we die as God's people if we are going to see the world in the way that God the Father sees the world? Let me answer that question this morning. If you're taking notes, you will want to write each one of these down. Number one, in order to live, you must die to sin. In order to live, you must die to sin to sin. That is the clear truth of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, in Romans the 11th chapter in the 6th verse, Paul said, consider, count yourself dead to sin. Now I'm going to do a little survey this morning. How many of you like the King James Version? That, that's not necessarily my version, but I like the way it says it in the King James. This is what it says. It says, reckon yourself dead to sin. You know, here in Texas, we're reckoning on everything, aren't we? We're reckoning we're going to go over there, and we're reckoning we're going to do this today. Well, I'll tell you, that is not what this word means. 
Actually, this word reckon means to compute or to calculate. To esteem something to be true. The best illustration I've ever heard is this. It's like endorsing a check. If we really believe the money is in the bank, we'll sign the check without hesitation. Isn't that true? If you really believe the money's in the bank, you'll sign the check, won't you? Without hesitation. Now the unique thing about that verse of Scripture, Romans 6, verse 11, is this. It is not stated in a command form. It's not even offered as a word of encouragement by the Apostle Paul. Paul states it as a fact. This is what he's saying. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are dead to sin. It is a foregone conclusion in God's eyes. Now, I think we need to be careful here. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We are all prone to sin in our lives. But this is what it means for the believer. We should hate sin in our life. We should abhor it. I fear what has happened in modern day Christianity is sin has become acceptable in the life of the believer. As long as it's not too heinous, it's okay. But in the life of the believer, sin should never ever be commonplace. We should hate it. When we sin against God, we should be devastated. We should be broken in our hearts. We should never make light of sin. And certainly we should never brush it aside in our lives. When we do that as believers, do you know what we're saying? We are saying we don't truly understand who God is. That He is this holy and righteous God and that sin cannot be in His presence and we don't fully understand how our sin affects God. I believe one of the number one reasons God is withholding revival from the American church in general is because of this very reason right here. We are not genuinely broken over our sinfulness. Every great movement of God in the world can be traced back to two things. One is prayer and a genuine brokenness by believers over their sinfulness before God. Every one of them can be traced to that. In order to live, you must die to sin number two in order to live you must die to self in order to live you must die to self and that raises the question what does that mean surely on more than one occasion in scripture we are told to die to self i mentioned those verses of scripture earlier dying to self is not easy isn't that true I don't know about you, but dying to self is a constant struggle in my life. Self-sufficiency 
is the pervasive belief that haunts the life of every believer. The belief that I can do it in my own power and strength. American culture teaches us to be self-sufficient. I can accomplish anything if I put my mind to it. I can achieve anything through hard work. Self-sufficiency is what we're taught in America. Now, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about this morning. We're all taught that, aren't we? Yes. We're all taught that. And the problem is, it flies in the face of what Scripture teaches us. Let me give you the single greatest expression of dying to self. Here it is. One word. Prayer. Prayer is the single greatest expression of dying to self. In prayer, we are acknowledging to God, I can't do it. I'm insufficient. Through prayer, we are saying to God, we are completely dependent upon Him. To die to self is to live. It's to live. Now, I can... Just be honest with you this morning as your pastor. I want to do that. I struggle with this. It is so easy for me as a pastor to lean on the diplomas that I have on the wall. I mean, I have two religious degrees. I've been studying the Bible for 26, 27 years of my life. I've been preaching and teaching the Word of God. And sometimes I can convince myself if I can use enough persuasive words, if I can be eloquent enough, if I can do all of these different things, many people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I will tell you that is a lie of the enemy right there. I can change no one's heart. Only the power of the Spirit of God can change a person's heart. I cannot do that. Paul said he went to the church at Corinth not with uh, persuasive words, not in eloquent speech, but he came in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we need to see in the American church today. We need to see the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed in people's lives today. That's what we need to see. That's what we need to see. Self-sufficiency. Number three. Third, to live, you must die to the ways of the world. To live, you must die to the ways of the world. That means you die to the pursuits and the pleasures of this world. Your dreams and your aspirations are no longer important. Serving Christ becomes the goal of your life. Now, when I made those statements in my sermon this week, I stepped back and I said, is that really true? Is that what God teaches us in His Word? That we have to die to our hopes, our aspirations, and our dreams in life? Well, I want you to judge for yourself. I want you to hear the Word of God this morning and you judge for yourself what it is that Jesus Christ is saying at the end of this passage. Verse 25 and 26, Whoever loves his life, do you see that? Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, 
There will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Those are two of the most challenging verses of Scripture found in God's Word. Dying to live. This morning, as I close, I want to see you this I want you to see this truth, dying to live, in a very practical way, in the life of a person. Many of you know Robin and my family's story. Last year, when we got ready to return to America, my wife decided to go to a ministry in America that's called Streetwise. It's a ministry that is to street children. And part of the way of funding that ministry in Zambia is they paint signs. They take old wood, and from that, they will paint you a sign. So when we got ready to leave, Robin had this beautiful sign painted for us that hangs in our home now. I don't know if you can read all of the words or see it, but it is a picture of the continent of Africa. And then on the continent of Africa, there are found three different phrases. The first phrase says, no reserves. The second phrase says, no retreat. The third phrase says, no regrets. I don't know if you've heard of those three phrases before, but they're actually found in a man's Bible whose name was William Borden. William Borden was an heir to the Borden fortune. At a very young age, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. After graduating out of high school, he felt compelled to go to seminary. There at seminary, God broke William Borden's heart for the nations of the earth. Upon completing seminary, he set sail for Egypt where he was going to learn the Arabic language so he could go and be a missionary among a people group, a Muslim people group in the northwestern part of China. Three months after he arrived in Egypt, he contracted cerebral meningitis and died. 25 years of age. Several months later, when his mother stepped off the boat, the ship that took her there, there was a man waiting who gave her his Bible. She went to her hotel room and she opened up the Bible and began to flip through it. And in one of the margins of the Bible, she found these three phrases. And after each phrase was a date. The first phrase, no reserves, and a date, and then this was written. The day that I denounced or renounced my inheritance in favor of becoming a missionary for the Lord. The second phrase, no retreat, and a date followed it, and then there was this phrase. The day that my father disowned me and told me, as long as I lived, if I became a missionary, I would never hold a position in the family business. The third phrase, 
no regrets. The date that was next to it was just a few days before he died. 25 years of age. Died. No reserves. No retreat. No regrets. You see, some people today, and even some of you in this church, would look at his life and say, Oh my goodness, what a waste. But I would tell you this morning, this man understood the biblical truth, dying to live. He gave up the ways of the world. He gave up all of his aspirations, hopes, and dreams. He died to self, and he died to sin so that he might have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to serve Him in whatever manner God determined for Him to serve. Dying to live. Jesus Christ said, if a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will produce Life. And this is the question we must ask ourselves this morning. Are we dying to live? Father God, we thank you for your word and the way it speaks truth into our hearts. Father, what a challenge from you today for us to die to self and to sin to die to the ways of the world, to die to live. Father, I realize you don't call all of us to go and live overseas in that capacity. But I will say this, God, the clear message of your word is that we're called to die to sin, to self, and to the ways of the world and allow you to live in and through us. Father, you have your way during this time of invitation. You be honored and glorified. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.